Hello, and welcome to episode 57 of Expertise is Overrated, the podcast that takes the time to answer the questions you didn't know you didn't want the answer to. I'm Sean. And I'm Vib, and neither of us has any clue what we're talking about. Except we do this week, because we're actually talking about what we talked about last time. (laughs) I I have a horrible feeling this is going to fall apart very quickly, though, because we've left ourselves a third of the film series to talk about. Just one film in three, and yet we're expecting this to somehow fill an entire episode. And I can't entirely remember the points that we made last time, which is good. That's that's great news for us. It means we can just redo last episode, and we won't know. We won't know. (laughs) We don't listen to these again. (laughs) Well, I think I'm editing this one, so I I guess... (laughs) it's, It's not like we listen to any of the feedback we get. Feedback? What? Or the conversations in Discord or whatever, however we want to term it. None of that's ever influenced us, so yeah. Exactly, we'll, no. We'll we don't right. listen to what you, you what you people say. This is our show. Don't, <laughs> I don't listen to what he says, so <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I better listen to what I say as well. I've just I've just got his chat muted. I don't really know what's coming out of his mouth, to be honest with you. You're just guessing what I'm saying and responding according well, to Well, hopefully really. I'm getting the timings right, but <laughs> I mean sorry. You, you never do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> we have a terrible habit of talking over each other. I'm not sure that's fair. I think I've got a terrible habit of talking over you. Yes, you do. It's true. But it's because my points are more important. So I also have a bad habit of talking for a very long time. It's really stark when I'm editing and I can see like a huge long trace of me talking with just nothing underneath for your bar. And then there's like that's, little, I'll have just left the house for a little a, bit. There's a little gap in proceedings during which you go, yeah, or no. And then I just go for like another <laughs> 10 minutes. So I really bad. enjoy those because they're really easy to edit. <laughs> Highlight silence. Exactly. Um, no, I th- you know, I think we've got a pretty good medium. I'm yeah. right, you're wrong. You monologue, I listen. Just works, I suppose. Yeah. Um, it, except it only last time, I suppose, because actually... It's the first time we've ever overrun to such an extent that we're like, let's do a part two. <laughs> yeah, we binned that quite badly, to be fair. Yeah, we not, really did. Not, I'm surprised because we already went quite a long way over an hour, I think. No, we normally, we just overrun. Like we, we target 50 to, you know, uh, 65 yeah. minutes, I 10 to run for about 50. <laughs> I think we've done, had a couple of early ones that ran to 50, but we tend to manage about an hour and a quarter. We got to about an hour and a quarter last time and went, we got a whole film to talk about still and it's the biggest mm. one it's the biggest one yeah and but that's why we dedicated a whole episode so we're giving you a whole episode on the conversion of volume three of the lord of the rings the return of the king to the big screen i mean it, don't tell them but if we if we run out of material i'm just going to go into the hobbit oh are you i was going to go for rings of power um, probably no. The Hobbit's better. The Hobbit's better. I was gonna say because there's not a huge amount of source material to yeah, to the Hobbit. <laughs> the the Hobbit's much Hobbit. better right across, isn't it? And it's actually a good yeah. comparison. So we could we could put that in our sort of part or section two of the episode in with the Gandalf problem that I'm really excited because I don't know what that means. 
Neither do I, and I wrote it. So <laughs> we'll, 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 I've got some time to think while you're yeah. going off on like another twenty minute thing. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I've got, I've got a big one about the arms and armor of Middle Earth that I really care about. You really do. You I'm really the do. only person in the world who seems to care about this, but never I, mind. You, because you always mention this really early on in any debate about Lord of the Rings, and it's it's just a weird one. It really is. I don't quite understand it, but just I I have a theory. I have a theory about why the films worked, but we need to get there. Well, you've started with it now, so let's let's talk about this. Oh, we're just going straight in. I was going to do a very quick recap of what we talked about last time, but no, the episode's up there. People can go and listen to it. Exactly. Go and listen to episode fifty six of this podcast. Um, in fact, it would make a lot of sense yeah, for this you, particular episode as well, because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of assumed knowledge. We don't know what we're assuming that you know, because we don't remember what we said last time, but there will be assumed knowledge. Well, um, so the arms and armor point, is it's a really weird one. So if I'm, I'm particularly reminded of this whenever I read The Two Towers, specifically the depictions of the battle at the Hornberg and the Siege of Helm's Deep, because... It's quite clear from the way that Tolkien writes that his picturing of at least the Rohirrim, but I think more generally Middle-earth, is much more early medieval than what I sort of think of as high or late medieval, which is what we get much more in the films. And the most telling example of this is the description of Aragorn at the Hornberg, because Aragorn has a shield at the Hornberg. He has a shield in one hand and Anduril in the other, which obviously, if we think about the swords that Aragorn wields in the film, good luck having one of those with a shield because they look like they're about six foot long. So, like, it just... That's, that's the difference, right? And the reason that I think it works is we have an image in our head of what we think good guys and bad guys in fantasy look like and the good guys are essentially dressed like the Gondorian soldiers that we get in Two Towers and Return of the King so they've got like thick plate armor on and they're all like very uniform and things like that which I think helps make the films more generally approachable because you don't have this sort of army that doesn't really look coherent and uniform that you would have if you were getting the sort of accurate to books depictions of of Gondorian soldiers does that sort of make some sort of sense sorry literally all I'm thinking is what an amazing monologue to kick us off I know I just realized I spoke for two (laughs) minutes without stopping um does that make sense I'm not sure um to be honest that's, that's frustrating because my next point necessarily follows from that first one making sense. <laughs> where uh, I, where I, did I, just, I lose you? Well, if, if, you're, if you're literally just going with Aragorn had a shield it's at the not, Hornberg. It's not just Aragorn had a shield at the Hornberg. It's like all of the descriptions of the arms and armour that people use in Lord of the Rings, and I wish I had my copy to hand because it would be much more helpful than my half-remembered ramblings are, you know, leather and leather hauberks and 
ring yeah, mail. Yeah, but that but and... that is that is, for Rohan, yes. But I think we get that in the films. Like the Rohirrim look like a bloody rabble. Well, the Rohirrim do. But that's the Gondorians, why, I, I grant you. That's why this, I can't quite remember because the only one we really get is um, the guy whose name I always forget. Halbrand? Baragond or Bar- Bar- No, what? you're right. Bar- Baragond. Sorry, Halbrand. One, one of those great type names, right? And I think that that those Gondorians, that's admittedly the Citadel Guard. I think they're wearing pretty decent armor, and because and, Pippin's armor is explained as well, isn't it? P- Pippin's armor is described, and it is miniature Citadel Guard armor, but. The guards of the citadel are the absolute pinnacle and elite of yeah, the Gondorians. The, the, the Gondor rank and file in the films is a little bit uh, over the top. That's not the right. It's not the right phrase, but it, it is very like yeah. So this is my sec- this is this is my sort of subsidiary point is when you see Gondor during the siege of Minas Tirith lining up to fight this also comes on to another point that we have written down when you see the soldiers of minas tirith lining up to fight during um they look uniform they look not like a disheveled rabble they look like professional soldiers but more than that they look civilized so what it gives you excuse me what it gives you is a very easy to follow thematic conflict now i'm not saying that the thematic conflict in lord of the rings has been hard to follow up to now but it sort of grounds you very much in these are the forces of order these are the good guys these are you know they look these these are the guys who look like a proper military and then you contrast with the orcs who do look like a rabble and i think that but then in the films they're really they're really beautifully like in ranks and in formation the orcs. I mean, yeah, their armor all looks very different, but they yeah. are a very cohesive they, they force. They are. They're a very cohesive force. But it also gives you an interesting juxtaposition as against the battle at the Hornburg in the films, where the uniform force is the Urukai, because they're all wearing the mm. same armor and bearing the same weapons. So what it shows you is that it's not that the forces of order and industry are bad, which is the message that you get just from the two towers. It's that the uses to which those things are put matter, I think. So if you develop a a uniform for your soldiers with the intent of defending your home, that is different from, and develop an industry around that, that is different from developing a conquering military and dressing them all the same and sending them out to destroy the world of men. Now, I might be reading too much into it by that, by this point, I grant you. But I, for me, I think it works. I think it works very well. But I'm just not convinced that this is much of a change from the, from the written text to the films. Well, it is when you consider all the Gondorian fiefdoms. Yeah, when you consider, the, yeah, I, yeah, I get that, I get that. But I think the stylistic change there in the film is is less. Yeah, maybe maybe it is exactly what you're describing. I, I think that's just a way of a not having to write in the way Gondor works. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> with the right. fiefdoms and, and so on and so forth. Because I guess Imril and the, the the Swan Knights of Dol Amroth are like your 
gleaming, shining knights in exactly. armor, right? You know, and but I think, I think that's, that's the thing. So I think they've made the Gondorian rank and fire look the way they did to pay homage to things like that and, and also all the elven hosts of old, right? Which are always described as gleaming and banners everywhere yeah. and look how amazing they all look. <laughs> no, no, that's that's completely right. But I think Fat, so Faramir's charge in, in Return of the King, I think that's how the Knights of Dol Amroth are meant to look. So I think everyone's been upgraded, yeah. right? Because you don't yeah. have the, the knights to act as that pinnacle. You need something else to. And it's either Faramir's it's, knights. It's perhaps less a sort of, you know, updating the arms and armor as opposed to just they've shortcutted it a bit, you know? I think it I think it all hangs together. I think you're probably right that I'm reading too much into it. But I think you're reading too much into it. I also don't think the change is as big as you're making it out to be. Maybe not. I probably should have reread the description of the soldiers of Minas Tirith before making this point, because data <laughs> would really help me here. I'm sort of trying to, in the background, look it up, but it's it's hard to sort of find. The problem- what I think is really interesting is that there's a lot of Easterlings in the battle, the Siege of Gondor, right, in the Siege of Minas Tirith. Um, and yet we... We never really see Easterlings do anything in the films other than march through the Black Gate. That's very, it's really strange, isn't it? Yeah, like they they went through all the all the trouble of designing them, and they look really sort of rank and file and professional. And then you never see them fight. You never see them fight. Not even unless it's in like a deleted scene, maybe. But I don't know. Maybe they're not in, sure. They're, they're not in the extended editions, even. Like you yeah. get more Haradrim in. The extended editions, but you get nothing of the yeah. Easterlings. It's really but I wonder strange. if that's maybe actually quite law friendly because I think the Easterlings in the books don't they hold like the the approaches to Minas Tirith more than anything else? So you guess you don't really see them on the pillar fields. Well, that's the thing. The siege of Minas Tirith is so much bigger because Minas Tirith itself, it, you've got obviously the walls of Minas Tirith, but then as you say, you've got the pillar field. And then there's a wall surrounding the Pelennor field, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And that's where Which most they essentially of the, got rid of in the films. Yeah. yeah they just, they, they scaled everything down. And they scaled Gondor down to Osgiliath and Minas Tirith. That's like the entirety of Gondor. Yeah. And and I guess they also sort of made the, the river crossing in Osgiliath look like a massive, massive, like, failure on Faramir's side, which I'm not convinced is necessarily true to what happens in the books. I don't think it is, no. I don't think... Is that that... There's a messenger, I've got a quote here, that she says, they have paid dear for the crossing, but less dearly than we hoped, which isn't the sort of words of like, a, oh, we really lost everything here. <laughs> but I also, I also don't think that in the books it's made out... Well, maybe it is. The sense that I get from the films is that the the loss of Osgiliath is because Denethor has failed to adequately resource the garrison at Osgiliath rather than Faramir fails to hold a line he was equipped to hold. That might just be me, though. Well, it's, it's the whole original attack, well, not original, but the first attack on us Gilead, right? Where they actually lose half the city and Boromir yeah. heroically saves the, the remaining half. 
Yeah. Which they don't really go into the film. I guess there is that scene in the extended editions of Boromir, his rousing speech and so on. They don't, they don't explain they never really, that. Yeah, exactly. They never explain the, the, the purpose of Osgiliath, etc. No, nor, nor that it's a city where there's like a constant battle being fought over the river crossing. Yeah, ever since it fell, ever, ever since that, uh, when Boromir destroyed the bridge, I suppose. Yeah. Because arguably that's your lost pipe. Boromir loses Osgiliath. And everything else is just a rearguard action. Arguably. In some ways, I suppose. Yeah, in some ways. It's a, it's, 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 I'm struggling to remember in the in the book where where the... Because the, the wall around Minas Tirith is... It's behind Osgiliath. Yes, it's between Minas yes. Between Osgiliath and Minas Tirith, right? Yes. Yes. And it's sort of pseudo-decorative, I think. No, because I, I I remember it actually fends off like a lot of Mordorian siege equipment. Doesn't I think it, it does. Like, it doesn't it actually does. do it because it's like Numenorian built, of course. Oh no, that's true. You're right. Is it ooh, is it the same material as the walls of Minas Tirith? Ah, that's yeah. That I can't quite remember. <sighs> I've got so much half remembered stuff. Oh, the outer wall of Minas Tirith, the Othram, that's built it. in the Numenorians in exile, was still strong. Was as impregnable as the Tower of Orthanc. There you go. <laughs> that's, wow, that's very impregnable. Need an end to get through that. Yeah, but they did throw heads of casualties into the city. So. Yeah. That's pretty true. But overall, I think the, the the siege... I mean, that's why it's called the Siege of Gondor, I suppose, in, in the books, right? It's, it's, yes. You're meant to think this is like a really sprawling battle that's going on and there's forces everywhere fighting. It's less sort of, here's the city wall... Um, Here's one army trying to get in. Here's one army defending, which I mean it does happen in the book as well. Of course, you know we have we have the scene of the witch king coming in. Gandalf's yeah, you have the witch king's um, and you know Grond coming in to try and take down the gate, and so on and so forth. But good old Grond. You get the feeling that that's like a focal point of a much larger fight, whereas yeah. in the film that that is the fight. <laughs> but also because they take out all the fiefdoms, they take out Losnarch and Pelargir, and they take out Dol Amroth. Yeah, for the same reason, I guess, right? Because actually, like, those, those cities are all under attack in one way or another, and, and they have to, you know, deal with their own shit before actually being able to relieve Minas Tirith. But they also, like, Imrahil is at Minas Tirith. He's not defending Dol Amroth. Denethor pulls all of the... Is it Denethor? Pulls all of the fiefs of Gondor to Minas Tirith, because that's where... That's the centre of Gondor. But in so but they doing... Don't, he sort they of don't send a whole lot, do they? They send. They don't. I remember, Imre Hill coming was like a real big deal because everyone was like, "Oh yeah, they they have actually come and amazing." And then, of course, because Denethor does nothing, Imre Hill takes a, takes charge of the defense. Yeah, isn't there like Falstaff the Fat or something from Lost Ark as well? He comes like yeah. There's they're... like a few, but nowhere near as many as you might expect. No, that's true. That's true. Is one but of I those. think that's a good change in the film. I mean, I feel yeah. there's a limited time, even though the films are 20 hours long or whatever. <laughs> but, like having to go into like, oh, actually Gondor works a bit like this and there's many fiefdoms, etc., etc. They all pay know, this is... homage to the steward, but they're sort of yeah. kings in their own right. And then so got... st- stick them just all in the same armor. Yeah, exactly. Except for the rangers because they're cool and edgy. And then just have them all defend this white marble wall. Yeah. And it's jobs are good. It's very visually simple, which I yeah. think is potentially 
a criticism that you could lay at its feet. It's it's too simple. It I don't know if this is a fair criticism, but you can essentially break it down into good guys on this side of the gleaming white wall, bad guys on this side of the gleaming white wall. Bad guys want to come over the wall. There's <laughs> yeah. no there's no nuance. Especially like, uh, when you combine it with the Rohirrim arriving, and they actually seem to have got a massive upgrade in terms of their arms and armor, because <laughs> they're all yeah. gleaming in like uniform now as well, or at least more uniform than they were in, in Helm's Deep. Yes, uh, the ride of the Rohirrim is so good, though. Isn't Literally, it? tears every time, every single time. <laughs> it's so good. It's just so epic. I don't like. Everything about that scene is it's, just epic. It's <laughs> shot so well. The music is phenomenal. All of the actors are giving it a thousand percent. Theoden's yeah. speech is unbelievably well delivered. Yeah. And that roar of like 6,000 spears. Yeah. You know, just roaring at some orcs. <laughs> and just to- like terrifying, yeah. And they've told you all the way along the ride we don't have enough we don't have enough we won't be able to break the lines we don't have enough and then you see the Rohirrim arrive and they're all backing away because they've realised they don't have enough and then yeah because you, well, you see that shot of just a sea of orcs yeah and then Theoden you see you sort of shoot, zoom in on Theoden and he's looking and he's just like bah! and then he turns and issues his orders and gives his speech and you're like that, that guy knows he knows he's about to ride 6,000 of his best and last to their death. And he doesn't care because that's what you do. And it's so good. Yeah. I need to go and watch it though. Just that clip. In, in defense of a kingdom that has not helped him that abandoned in ages. You. Yeah, exactly. Left him to die almost. Where was Gondor uh, and then, when and the then they charge? Uh, where well, was Gondor when the yes. <laughs> have to ask for <laughs> help, mate. <laughs> Just chilling, mate. But Imrahil is too busy doing nothing, apparently. Um, but I really like in that scene as well because they, they have that baby faced orc that I feel they That's literally so created just so he could get absolutely mown down by so some good. horse riders and it's it's reminiscent of Gandalf at Helm's Deep as well but you don't have Gandalf there it's all men and it's not even high it's, men like yeah. Aragorn and Denethor or Faramir it's just these are these are just people these are just people who are making a choice it's so good it's so good. Although I always do wonder, how does Gothmog survive? And also, Gothmog is an introduction for the film, specifically, isn't he? Oh, well, yeah, no, Goth- he's maybe Gothmog actually mentioned exists. in his books, but I don't think he's particularly He's like not him. an orc. He's the, he's the Witch King's lieutenant in the books, but he's a man, I'm fairly sure. I'm not certain. Actually, I'm fairly sure. Oh, that's... Well, he's a, well, he's a, this is a deep cut. He's a card in the le- latest Magic the Gathering Lord of the Rings crossover. He's Gothmog, Lieutenant of Mordor. And he's a human captain or a human noble or something. He's not an orc. And they're, they're drawing from the books as their source material, not the films. Sorry, that's a very so no yeah, see so this is the thing so, so he's only ever mentioned once in the books and he called the army's reserve out of Osgiliath and into the main battle bringing forth mm. Easterlings Southrons Variags and Trollmen into the fray that's like a, in quotation marks that's probably the only thing he ever says and it's, then it goes on to say his race is wholly unknown though it has been speculated that Gothmog may have been a man Black Numenoria Nazgul Orc Uruk or even a Bulldog so 
they they, they clearly just said that's all too complicated. Let's just make him an orc. <laughs> yeah, which you know I think is a fair decision, especially because they made him this really weird orc with like really gnarly face and just badass. But then also can't really walk, and you're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I, I, I don't like Gothmog in the. That's the whole point. No, I like it. Yeah, it's not not that he's a villain. I just don't <laughs> find him that compelling in the film. Well, no, uh, yeah, no, I, I sort of agree with you. But that's also why I think that again, this is where the extended editions are the best because you get to see him being absolutely dismantled yeah. by. Aragorn and Gimli. <laughs> it's true. That's quite good. He gets like chopped into eight pieces. Like he, he sort of chases Eowyn for like five seconds, and then Aragorn and Gimli just sw- like swing past, and he's just dead. That's yeah. that's the death he deserves. Like just completely. He's completely nobody. Yeah. Yeah. Although I suppose he does get chopped down by Anduril, which is I guess as high an honor as you're going to get as an orc. Yeah, but it's in passing, isn't it? Yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't really like slow down for it. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't warrant any further attention than any other orc on the battlefield, which is quite good. Exactly. So he's he's on it. Yeah. So the armor point. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you on that. That's fine. Uh, that's that's twenty five minutes of, of monologue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just to be like, uh, no, the fiefdoms not being in the film, I think, is a good change. I think it overall is, but it serves to make the world of the films smaller, which is something that we spoke about last yeah. time. It concentrates attention and concentrates conflict on like very small inflection points, which I think is fine, but that's that's what yeah. it's doing. I, th- I think it is fine. I think it is fine. I would have liked yeah. to have seen proper Imrahil, though. That would have been good. Um, this is this is the thing, right? Because I guess again, in the in the spirit of almost simplification for the film, they got rid of Imrahil. He got rid of the fiefdoms. They got rid of the great company. Yeah, I want. We was going to come on to that. They get rid of Ganburi Gan. Yeah, but he's confusing in the books as well. So I mean, <laughs> just suddenly there's a secret path and a chap we've never heard of. It's just classic Tolkien. Is like, oh, by the way, you know, let me just quickly squeeze. 10,000 years of lore into a paragraph. <laughs> it's so good. They get rid of the Stone of Arak. Um, yeah. And just have it be a the miscellaneous, sword? creepy... I don't uh, no, it's, it's more the, the passage under the mountains. Isn't that sort of more what... Yeah, but they go under the mountains anyway. Yeah, true. But they go under the mountains and then come out and climb the hill to the Stone of Arak, on which Aragorn summons the King of the Dead. Or the, yeah, the, whereas they just summon him under the mountain. Yeah. It, which is a badass scene in the... That that whole thing is so much more badass in the films, I think. I get that it's potentially tacky. It feels... And it's a little bit deus ex machina. My my issue isn't with that scene. It's with the arrival of the army of the dead at the Palador field. Oh, I like that scene. But I can also understand why you would hate it. I, I hate... I, there's quite a lot about the Battle of the Pelennor Field that I actually don't like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. Well, no, there's, there's not a lot. There's like two bits. <laughs> whoa. What is happening? One. This isn't this isn't a this isn't a Sean says stupid shit episode. I don't I don't like the way the Army of the Dead like swarm over 
Moomakil and there's like a million of them and they instantly cleanse the city and all of that. Like that's the Deus Ex Machina side of it that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah, but I think that that was just a sort of... We need to wrap this up now. <laughs> the cleansing of the city, I think, was... Yeah, it's, it's partly sort of, let's wrap this up, but it's also... I think it's sort of meant to evoke the effect that the Grey Company has, but in a really weird backwards way. Because right? the Grey Company show up, they unfurl the banner, and everyone yeah. all of a sudden... It's, a bit, it's almost like, you know, daybreak, and everyone sort of knows, ah, oh, the battle is won, the king is here. Yeah, that's, that's... And I think to visually do it, they were like, let's just make a green tide <laughs> swarm through the city and literally cleanse it and then the green tide disappears and it's almost like Aragorn did it all himself yeah because you sort of can't evoke the raw terror that Aragorn's banner and him unveiled in his majesty and all of that because it doesn't because the world doesn't work in that way in the films exactly Aragorn doesn't have that metaphysical weight yeah I guess exactly that. there's this sort of like the, the nuances of like oh it's an elf made banner Unfurled yeah. by the last Numenorians in Middle Earth, and doesn't he? Isn't doesn't Aragorn have a stone on his forehead that glows and mm. things like that? He's yeah. and of course, he also brings two elf lords with him to fight alongside. You yeah. know, it's, it's like he brings out pretty epic yeah. stuff. But on film, that just would look a bit like mm, they're all just clan in grey, and yeah, the stone looks a bit weird. <laughs> it would be hard to do. Especially so I, I agree that they, they maybe overdid it a little bit in, in with the way in which they portrayed the album of the dead, but I think it does the job. Plus, they get to throw in a bit more humor. You yeah. know, when, when the three of them jump off the ship and the orc's like, <laughs> you're so fucked. And then, you know, turns out he's fucked. So yeah, That's quite funny. Um, that is quite funny. You and What Army is one of the best straight lines <laughs> exactly. that anyone has ever uttered. It's so that, good. That is so obviously uh, like a bet, isn't it? Someone's like, hey, Jackson, I don't. Uh, I bet you can't get that into your film. And he's like, right. <laughs> let's, let's make it happen. everything. <laughs> let's spend this. all our CGI budget for the entire trilogy on this one army. Fire, just to spite this guy. Fire the three actors that you hired for Eladan, Elrahir, and Halbrand. Don't need them <laughs> anymore. But what are we going to do instead? Green, green monsters. Green ghosts. <laughs> I also um, hate Legolas soloing a Mumuk for a Mumukil. I just hate it. I never, I'll never get over it. It's Hobbit. It's the Hobbit. What I don't really understand about that one, right, is... Yeah. Did did they know how well the whole Helm's Deep spiel was going to poll with audiences before they decided to make... Like, let's do that thing. They made them all at the same time, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. So I guess they, they sort of just backed themselves and they're like, yeah, people will think this is great by, twice. By this <laughs> stage of the films, everyone will think this is excellent. But again, I, I feel this is just a, a quick and easy visual way to be like, by the way, guys, in case you've forgotten, he is an elf. Yeah. Puts him like, well, he's an elf prince at that. So he's like a little step above average. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's a bit fine, but it's like a step two action movie for me. I'd much rather he just shoot one in the eye. Yeah, I, th I think you, you might not be wrong about that, but I guess it's just, it just creates a little bit of a 
it's a visual difference to the battle, right? Because it's, it's before, it's, yeah, yeah. Because there's just always just a lot of charging horses and getting run over by elephants and so on. But if me, anything, I think the elephant lawnmower is or horse mower, I guess is more accurate term, is is more egregious than Legolas. There's quite a lot egregious about the Muma kill, isn't there? There is a bit. They're like, oh god, we've we've really spent time animating these giant elephants. Like, let's use them. <laughs> But that's great from Theoden as well. The reform the line, reform the line bit. And then he turns his horses and charges at a line of like 100 foot tall elephants. And then they all just get absolutely murdered by the elephants. It's really funny. Mm. But you, you do have to sort of wonder, what was the point of the Mimikill? Because they're held back a long way. <laughs> yeah, they're held back ages. And, and, and the city's almost like taken. So what? what? They were expecting a cavalry assault? <laughs> I don't know. It's like it's weird, isn't it? I'm guessing they only just got to Mordor and then Sauron was like, uh, no, fight's over there. Get a shift yeah, on. Oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, And then they arrived to find all the orcs, like, dead and in disarray. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, uh, I think, I mean, the battle for Minas Tirith is an absolute... This is a spectacle with Pelennor Fields. I'm, I'm being really negative on it. But this is still in a 10 out of 10 film. Like, these are tiny nitpicks in the context of the film as a whole, I think. I think so. And and, like a lot of it is sort of true to the books. And I think, you know, the, the, the gate coming down, the trolls coming in and the brave men of Gondor. Yeah. Of course, I can't forgive... No. The absolute emaciation of Gandalf. I hate I I hate that. I know it you is hate the it only more. actively bad scene in the whole extended trilogy. I know you hate it more than I do, but there's something so impressive. Because in the books, the Witch King breaks the gates. Even Grond can't break them, and the Witch King breaks them. Yeah. Yeah. And, the Witch and King, then he is faced by Gandalf, well, and you know that this is like everyone probably else not feeds. even an even fight. Like, you know that Gandalf's probably got it. And I then the Witch King runs away. But every, uh, yeah, it's, well, everyone else flees, and Gandalf is just there, sitting on his horse, looking tired, but standing. Yeah, and the Witch King comes through and and gives his speech. This is my hour, and Gandalf just stays there. And then the cock crows and the sun rises, and the Witch King flees, and they never fight. And that's so much better. Where's the horns of Rohan? Right, it's the horns of Rohan. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. That, that's 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 so much more Gandalf, and I'm sure that we'll come to the Gandalf problem off the back of this at some point. I think so. I think the Gandalf problem is actually a lie. We're never going to cover it. Uh, there's, there's an episode <laughs> coming on the Gandalf problem. The Gandalf problem. We don't know. We don't know. You don't. You don't need to know. <laughs> it's for us to know and you to find out. Maybe never. Um, so yeah, I mean that that's that's literally the only bad scene in in the entire film trilogy for me, and it it. That's it's the one where I'm like, yes, they should have left shot. it out. <laughs> that's a huge shot. The That's one of the places where the theatrical edition is better. Yes. Because it doesn't happen. Exactly. It's just, why? Like, yeah, no, no just, I, no, let's just move on. <laughs> let's just move I th- on I, anything I th- else. I think, I think there are Tolkien letters out there that say, in that moment, Sauron's power is waxing, Gandalf is diminishing, Gan- like... It's not an absolute slam dunk for Gandalf. I think there is writing out there that says no, that. No, but but it doesn't. 
the Witch King can't break Gandalf's staff. That's the egregious bit. Shadowfax would never throw Gandalf. But this is also just where... Yeah, where, where book Gandalf and film Gandalf are shown to be very different they characters. Very different. Right, film Gandalf is just a wise old man with some magical abilities who doesn't really know how things are going to go. Whereas Book Gandalf is like, no, no, this is Eru's will. And, you know, you, you're just the Witch King, mate. Like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Book Gandalf gives you his list of names, which includes Alora and I was in my past in the West that is now forgotten, which is like, if you know, you know, type thing. Yeah. And you've got people like Elrond and Galadriel and Glorfindel who do know who and what Gandalf is. Yeah. And that... Exactly, exactly. You have no... You have no way of finding that out in the films. No, but but again, I think that's probably a a decent change overall, right? Because it's potentially quite jarring when you're watching it in what is a short format, even though it's a very long series of films. Yeah, but it's not a um, thousand pages of book or whatever. Exactly. So you don't have, you don't have the time to really explain that really important nuance of Gandalf's character on no. screen, right? You're, you're better off just making him a a wise old wizard who like really tries to to move his pieces in such a way that he's going to get the victory. But it's just you know, there's that there's yeah. doubt, right? Because doubt is human. Yes, exactly. That and can... that is the Gandalf problem. He's too human. He's too human. You Which I, I'm calling it a problem. It's, it's not. A, it's not a problem. I, I think the Gandalf change is more accurate. But that just sounds a bit nasty. <sighs> we talked about this last episode as well. It's the humanization of, of a lot of the major characters just to make it more film appropriate. That's and I think true. it's a good change. That's true. But I think there's there's something to Gandalf and Saruman in particular being you know, power equivalents with Sauron. And yet, which they are in the books, vaguely. And yet, like, Gandalf dares not match himself against the ring or against Sauron or what have you because he doesn't know he'd win. So no. It sort of see, shows I, you that... I mean, it's not the only reason, but... I don't think that that's the reason at all no, in the books. I know it's. I know it's not actually the reason, but... Like, even with Gandalf on their side, they nearly lose, and they only win because of Bilbo's mercy, essentially. Yeah, no, exactly. Absolutely. But I think the whole point is that Gandalf knows all that, especially once he's sent back, right? Because Gandalf the Grey dies, and then he literally has a little one-to-one with God himself, comes back as Gandalf the White, and he's like, I am Gandalf the White. I am here to essentially oversee the record being set straight. No, I don't think that's right. And I don't destiny think... being fulfilled. It's it's very fatist, I, no, I believe, I, actually, I the books. I don't think I agree with you. I don't think this, I don't think the Lord of the Rings is a golden path in the sort of the way that the Dune books are. It's about... It's my, my favourite thing. It's about choice. It's not about fate. What matters... It, it is about choice, but it's the choice of all the characters except Gandalf. Right? And I don't think Gandalf makes any choices, really. I think he is just there 
on the ride. <laughs> no, I think I think that's true. I think Gandalf is there to empower choice. Yeah, um, but the, but the, he, he is essentially the just the minute Gandalf the White shows up, you you kind of know it's over. No, you see, I disagree with that entirely. I, I completely disagree with that. Gandalf the White is there to write the balance of Saruman. That's why he's there. no, no, because Saruman is is irrelevant at that point. No, but he shouldn't be. Gandalf the White. But, is no, there. but the point is, but but Saruman is is defeated through through nothing. Gandalf does no. no. Well, no. Gandalf. I mean, yeah, yeah fine. He he redirects the Rohirrim at one point. Gandalf but He's just a messenger Rohirrim. there. Gandalf that's always that's always been Gandalf's role, right? He breaks, riding around the various kingdoms and delivering messages. He breaks Saruman's staff. Saruman is done in not by Gandalf but by Grima. Yeah, no, but that but that I think is just carrying out Ovira's verdict. I it's like no. you you have failed in your mission, therefore you are done now. This is that's not him winning over Saruman. So uh, Saruman is already defeated. I think this is just the official. Um, yeah, this is you done, mate. I'm not getting my point across well. My point isn't that Gandalf beats Saruman. My point is that Gandalf the White should never be necessary because Saruman should be doing that. And so Gandalf is sent back as Gandalf the White not to enact Eru's divine plan. Although, yes, to enact Eru's divine plan, but not to enact a Golden Path style divine plan, but to write the balance of Saruman turning bad and there not being a... Saruman the White style to stand against Sauron. That's 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 what I'm saying. Yeah, see, I, he's I a counterweight. Don't, I don't. Yeah, but I don't think he is a counterweight to Saruman as you're saying it. No, he's not a counterweight to Saruman. He's a I don't think he's a counterweight to, to Sauron. I think he's a counterweight to Saruman. No, he's but not, Sauron he's not that because Aragorn is the counterweight that. to Sauron. Gandalf is not. Gandalf is effectively. I mean, this 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 is going to sound like a hot take. Gandalf is effectively not instrumental in the outcome of the War of the Ring. He's the Indiana Jones of, of the Lord of the Rings. Gandalf the White, that is. But, but that's not... Mm. I think you take Gandalf the White out of the story and you still get exactly the same outcome. I don't think I agree. Doesn't everything happen because Gandalf's moving pieces around? Gandalf is putting people in positions to make choices. That, that's the only way in which I might... The forces of the West don't win because Gandalf marches up to Barad-dor, bangs down the door, drags Sauron out and chucks him in a volcano. No, obviously not. But isn't Gandalf the one pulling them together? Isn't he the one telling That's... Aragorn to take the path of the dead? Isn't he the one who... Convinced. He sets people up, yeah. He yeah. just makes suggestions like maybe just consider like he essentially knows what choices people have to make and he he escorts them to the choice. But that's a bit like in Raiders, you know, the Nazis digging in the wrong place. Eventually they would have found the right place, right? I think I'm really liking this now. I hate this analogy. <laughs> Gandalf is so as irrelevant much. to the films as as Indy is to, to Raiders. Excuse me, I have a tinfoil to write down. Yeah, well, it, it, that might genuinely be a tinfoil. We haven't had one of those in a while. I'll, I'll gladly accept it as well. I think I could expand on this in a future episode if, if people want to hear me. If people want to really, re, hear me really tackle again that from and explain in great detail his irrelevance. Please, then please, no one write in. I cannot deal <laughs> with this. I'm definitely going to make like 50 fake accounts and just write in. <laughs> 
Oh, I think hey, he's on to something. If, right. we get, if we get 50 extra downloads, I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think we call that podcast fraud. Anyway, the, yeah, so we're not we're not agreed on it. Let us know what you think about Gandalf. Gandalf is definitely It'll generally be quite interesting to find out. Gandalf is definitely different. I think we differ on what that difference is. Yeah, yeah. The Gandalf is much more a focal point in the films, I think, because you've got him on the screen. <laughs> Use it, right? <laughs> Tell you who else is different on screen. Hard pivot to Denethor. Mm. Yes. Who is much maligned. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it. The victim of a character assassination. Yeah. That's, that's not an unfair statement, is it? Yes, I don't think that's that unreasonable. I mean, the, I, I think they I, latched on to the fact that he... He sort of had the fight knocked out of him, right? After, after all these many years, and he just didn't think there was any hope anymore. Yeah. But they were like, okay, let's just make him batshit insane. <laughs> they... They strip him of the nobility of his struggle. Yeah. Denethor in the books is a man at the end of his fight who's given his life to the fight. And the and, lives of his sons. And has, has lost Bor- his, his favourite son to the fight. Yeah, um, but, but equally thinks that he's lost Faramir as well. Thinks that Faramir is lost as well. And at the very last has turned to something he knows he shouldn't in a way to try and save his people. Yeah. Whereas... Yeah, as opposed to just as opposed to just dropping in a line like, oh, yes, I've been using the Palantir, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's not... <laughs> they, they latched too hard on to Boromir's dad, I think, and, and gave him the same yeah. sort of weak-willedness that they gave Boromir in Fellowship. But I guess it... It gave them a really easy opportunity to make, you know, to, to give Pippin his moment in the sun, right? Yes. Because you, you have it with Mary, you know, with the Witch King. Being, yeah, with the Witch King and also just riding to war yeah. of his own free will and not being dragged there by, by Gandalf. Um, and, and Sam and Frodo, of course, you know, we don't need being to say awesome. anything about them. But so I think, I think this was just an easy visual way of like yeah pippin came through um and and got rid of well got rid of is maybe a strong word so i don't really know how to, how to talk about the denouement of, of denethor it's just a bit sad <laughs> yeah it's tragic ultimately it's tragic i think but you don't the problem is you don't see the build up to the tragedy mm. i think that, that's the big loss i'm never entirely sure when when i've watched the films like what we were meant to think of Denethor, like we were meant to think he was a good guy or a bad guy, because it's Lord of the Rings, right? So we tend to think in those extremes. It's it's really hard to place him. Whereas in the books, I don't think it is hard to place him. In the books, it's very clear that he's a good guy who's lost at the very end. I think. Yeah, yeah. And you can and it, who's always sort of lived in that knowledge that. You know, if the king returns, then it's sort of like, well, you know, all that work and effort, literally and just none a of the caretaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, like it must have been pretty shit, you know, to just be constantly under siege and yeah, you can't do 
anything in that position other than endure. Yeah. Especially when you've grown up with stories of, of the House of the Kings and, and how they were able to go to war with hosts of elves and all these other grand alliances that would have existed in the world. And then meanwhile, he's there. Gondor's literally the only thing left that's not obvious. So it's pretty, yeah. Anyway, he's a much more complicated character in the books again. And in the books, he sends for Theoden's aid. It's not Pippin. Denethor recognizes their plight and sends the red arrow to Theoden. Yeah, which they also got rid of, the red arrow. <laughs> which I don't really mind because the shot of the New Zealand Tourist Board mandated shot <laughs> was so yeah, I good. Yeah, I saw a great, I mean, it's a fantastic team, but I saw a great um, meme the other day. Literally, it was like someone going to um, Howard Shaw being like, we need you to write some music. He's like, oh, what's the scene? He's like, oh, we're just going to light some stuff on fire. He's like, I've got you, mate. <laughs> he just writes the most epic soundtrack for this, like, just lighting of the beacons. <laughs> it's like, yes, he understood the assignment. It's so good. But yeah, I, that's much more evocative than the, the ride of the Red Arrow, I think. So yeah. that's fine. Especially because it culminates with the King of Gondor literally running up to Theoden and being like, can you please help? And Theoden has that beat. And yeah. everyone's going... Because he's already done the why should we ride to the aid of those yeah. who did not come to ours. And everyone's going like, because you didn't ask, dickhead. But then he has that beat. And then he goes, and Rohan will answer. And you're just like, yes. And everyone in the cinema is standing up and cheering because it's like a, you know, 2023 rewatch at the cinema. And we're exactly. all there. <laughs> but I think that. that visual is really important in mm. context, right? Is that you have... Aragorn, the King of Gondor, yeah. literally there, like really undressed as well, like in, in the highest state of undress we essentially ever see Aragorn. He's basically fallen through the door. He's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, well, I need your help, mate. And then Theoden's there like, wow, this like this is harking back to the this days is, of old. Yeah, this is it. This is me. I get to do that. Yeah. <sighs> Except what I find really interesting about Two Towers and Return of the King, they, they never really explicitly come out and say like they do in the books, right? This is Aragorn, son of Arathorn. He carries the sword of the kings. Yeah. He is the king of Gondor and Arnor. It's really... There are moments where you're like, does Theoden actually really know who this is? Or who this guy is? Are we sort of just going with it? <laughs> I tell you what, though. Bernard Hill gives an absolutely magnificent performance as Theoden. He's yeah. so good. Yes. Yeah, exceptional. Truly exceptional. It's fun. Yeah, it's so well done. But I mean, the, the whole cast is just absolutely immaculate. It's it's, um, it's odd to think of 12 hours of cinema in which there is no bad casting. There's no yeah. one who's not giving 150% and it absolutely landing. It's, yeah. it's, it's, what's really sad is we're never going to get a film... That good. Certainly not a film series in this genre that's going to be anywhere near as good as, no. as this. No, I don't see how you do. Harry Potter had the best chance and it drops the ball. Yeah, quite badly. But anyway, there's still a few things on our list and I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of the fact that we've actually nearly rattled on for an hour already. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of this can get bundled together. So the, the Yeah, we talked about some of the big ticket changes. So some of the other things we wrote down here that are quite pertinent. I guess a big one people talk about, Scouring of the Shire. Um, yeah. yeah, get rid of that shit. Don't care. 
I don't care about it in the books. I don't care about it in the films. <laughs> I think I, I, I'm struggling to get the words out, but I think I might agree with you. Even wow. Th- even though... Whoa. <laughs> it's difficult because I'm absolutely wedded to all of the buzzwords about heroic arcs and things like that, but I think it's fine to get rid of I, the scouring of the Shire. I think it it's a bridge to... Well, it's not a bridge to fight. It's an unnecessary bridge, right? You've already built four bridges. You've already given all the hobbits their moment in the sun. This, this you is don't your... need to show us that they can do it without the help of the big people. Yeah, but this, like, this, we know. <laughs> but but this is this is exactly you've hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. It's the demonstration of the culmination of their heroic arcs. Is their return yeah, they, their return from their yeah, journey but... inexorably changed by their journey and come across Sharky and are like, <laughs> yeah, what? Not a chance, mate. But that's the thing. But I think for, for that, it takes too long. <laughs> it does I think that? And it's too detailed. The that is the answer. It's it's maybe a little bit too long. Like if 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 Tolkien had written it in a sort of, and then the hobbits returned home, thinking it'd be triumphant, they found that this upstart had taken control of the Shire, so they quickly just dealt with him and then had some pints. <laughs> but yeah, I see that. <laughs> But not like let's drop complicated battle plans and stuff and have like hobbit armies. I, I just, I just don't think you need it. I, I really don't. But a lot of people do like it, so I think I don't think it's a notable omission from the films. I think that's no. the way I'm going to describe it because those films also yeah. take six hours to finish. That's that's the thing, right? If you also then add the scaring of the Shire, then you literally have like five endings. There's, there's no way you can do it like that. It's ridiculous. Can you actually imagine if they put it in it, Peter Jackson style? You would have literally had the crowning of Aragorn, right? So the ending of yeah. the film, a lot of people would have assumed is the crowning. And then you probably have another hour and a half of scouring. I know. <laughs> and then another thirty minutes of leaving the Shire, saying about and then another um, and then farewell on the shores of the sea. <laughs> After like a really proper fade to black, and then she's like, "Oh, here's Sam again." It's like, good, "Stop it!" Here, our fellowship at last has ended here on the shores of the sea. All right, cool. I can get up and go to the loo. Wait, what do you mean it's not finished? Yeah. This and then I really, I was really hoping for the end, like another fade to black, another shot of old Sam sailing west himself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's missing. Preferably with Gimli and, and Legolas, even though what, that would have been a, a, a law change. But what we're what we're absolutely missing is the mid credit scene with Sam sailing west. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If Marvel had made this film, we would have had a mid credit scene of Sam sailing west. We would have had another mid credit scene of, of Gimli and Legolas sailing west. We'd have probably got the the post credit scene that that. Uh, teases the, the great battle to end it all. Uh, yeah. yeah, the great battle <laughs> scene is is somehow Morgoth waking up in the void and saying, yeah. "All right, I'll do it myself." Uh, except it's the guy who plays Thanos, and you're like, "Oh no, no, not Josh Brolin again!" Not Josh Brolin. Stop being all the villains. No. That would be an epic. That would be an epic post-credit scene of just a shot of Morgoth waking up because everybody would be like, "Who the fuck is this guy?" Hold on, didn't we deal with this? <laughs> yes. Isn't Sauron dead? So no, I think um, many endings already. Each one very important. There's no space. I wouldn't have a bad word said about any of them. 
I mean, um, so yeah, you bow to no one might be the biggest tearjerker of a scene that's not meant to evoke tears. Ever Which was that? On. My friends, you bow to no one. Oh, you bow to no one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That might that might be like the most emotional scene not designed to draw a tear from the eye that has ever been put to film. I think. Oh, I mean, they all bow though at the end of that. Isn't that supposed to? I mean, that even in me invokes emotion. Yeah, well, that's my point. But I don't think it's meant to make you feel like choked up. It's meant to make you feel proud. But I just go, oh my god, they've grown yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I saw a phenomenal. Uh, just this is just off on a, a tangent now. I saw a video of Sean Astin, who appears to just live the best version of his own life at a convention, signing pictures. I think of himself. And someone comes up to him and says, I'm so glad you're here. I've wanted to meet you for so long. Um, I'm, I'm really struggling with severe depression. And every time I get I get really, really down, I think of some of the, your quotes from The Lord of the Rings where you talk about mm. how the sun will always rise. Oh, and Sean, yeah. I'm like, I'm already choking up. And Sean Astin reaches across and takes this woman's hand and goes, do you want to know what the best thing about severe depression is? And the woman's like really hesitant. She's like, yeah, I, I guess. He's like, absolutely fucking nothing. It sucks. I'm so sorry. I'm so glad you're mm. here. I'm so glad I can be a support to you. And I'm just like, oh, I want you to hug me. Stop, stop being such a great human, damn it. <laughs> Why couldn't you be a horrible person in real life? But no, you exactly. are actually just Sam. <laughs> yeah. No, Sean Aston, I'd love to just, yeah, hug that guy. Exactly. I think that's the, the you know. Yeah, I'd go for I'd go for a pint with um, any of them. Any of them, but it's particularly the two who played Mary and Pippin, whose names I now can't remember, which is very embarrassing. Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan. Yes, those are the two. I'd go for a pint with them, but I want to sort of. Well, but they're our rivals, Sean. That you know. Well, you say that. Have we considered forming a podcast network with them? That's actually not a bad idea, uh, <laughs> Billy Dominic. If you're listening, yeah, hit us a, up. Give us a ring, lads. Expertise is overrated at gmail.com, you know. Uh, you'll, you'll come straight through to us, no PAs or anything. No, you can, you'll be us no, handling it. You can each have 25% equity. We're not, you know, not looking to undercut you here. <laughs> Offering them 25% of fuck all, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so generous. Yeah, they can, you know, um, for a small cash injection, they can have 25% yeah. of the company. But I literally remember when we started this podcast... Uh, and our second episode was obviously Lord of the Rings one. And there's like, oh, um, did you see that Billy Boy and Dominic Monaghan have started the Lord of the Rings podcast? Like, what? Absolutely <laughs> Come on. Stole, stole our thunder. We would have been absolute that's millionaires the, when that's I That's the only then. thing standing between us and success is Billy Boy and Dominic Monaghan. <laughs> Fucking fast. I mean, you know what? Fair play to them. They seem like really genuine, mm-hmm. cool guys, interesting guys. Yeah, they do. I mean, I'd go for a drink with any of the cast, except maybe Viggo Mortensen, because I'd just be afraid that I'd end up in some, like, really weird situation. I think I'd just end up somehow on a horse. Yeah, exactly. But on a horse in, like, Nova Scotia, somehow. <laughs> but Viggo, we were drinking in London. What happened? Yeah. And I'm wearing a cloak. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Why is there a deer strapped to the back of this horse? I mean, it sounds like fun. Anyway. It does sound great. Speaking right. of Sean, speaking of Sean Aston, yeah. though, quick, check- quick fire now. I think to to wrap up <laughs> Sam's interactions with the ring, I think, are really important, and you don't get them other than when he takes it off 
Frodo and puts it around his neck. But Sam's temptation from the ring that you don't get, which is just the ring's like, how about, wait, hold on, you have no ambition at all. You could be a really good gardener. And Sam's like, I'm already a good gardener. Fuck you. And then takes the ring off. Like, I think that's great. I don't see how you do it on film, but it's great. And it should be in the films. Mm, yeah, because it, it's it's also quite Bombadil-esque, isn't it? It's quite Bombadil. Here's another tinfoil theory for you then, that Samwise Gamgee is descended from Tom Bombadil and Goldberry. Oh. You know, I don't think I'm giving you tinfoil for that. I think I like that too much. <laughs> yes, that's even better. I could see it. I don't. Well, actually, I don't really know how that would work. But literally, no evidence for it whatsoever. But, but it's, it would be such a Bombadil Goldberry thing to do, where they would just have a child and then just dropped him in the Shire. Someone's like, ah, oh, they'll take care of it. <laughs> the, the gaffer's great grandfather or something. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Uh, but yeah, no, the interaction with the ring. Yeah, um, I think they transferred a lot of that. Yeah, just just in the way Sam's character is in general on the screen, right? And his interaction with the Gollum and Smeagol. You you see a lot of Sam's character still. That oh, I'm carrying salt around in case we get a roast chicken. Like yeah, that's that's very Sam. Exactly. Yeah, you don't get a sense of his solidness, like how how steady and what you do. I suppose you do. Yeah, you do right because because. Um, they distill it, I think, all into that one scene where he's talking of going home, for, like for the journey home, the rationing. I think that's they, they yeah. just nail it. I think in the film, yeah. Whereas in the book, you, as you say, you, you get more of these sort of things, like you know, he's kind of solid. He's got that box of um, seeds. Doesn't he get like a mallorn tree seed? It's a mallorn tree seed. He's and he's like, out. yeah, you know, yeah. I'm going to plant that at home when we're back. He's like, obviously, <laughs> yeah. He, there Again, is, very bombadilish. There's no room for doubt in Sam's head. Yeah, it's like they're just on a little. Little adventure, little journey, and then you know when they get home, he'll he'll do some other stuff. Whereas yeah. Frodo's there, like, oh my god, we're gonna die. <laughs> we're <Yeah>. all so <laughs> fucked. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, no, Sam. Sam. Uh, I don't. I, they I, changed him, but I think he's he's equally great on the page. They, they don't. Yeah, I think that's true. It is a change, but I think it works, and it's a change for the medium because. You can't get inside Sam's head, so you can't really see the ring's temptations, and you can't see Sam overcome them in the same way. It's not clear exactly what, how the ring tempts in the films, because you can't be inside people's heads. It's just yeah. this generic temptation to put it on. Yeah, and some interesting sound effects. <laughs> Actually, the ring has a, has a genuine voice actor, right? So, <laughs> Isn't it John Reese davies is it? It might well be. Well, he's it usually voice. is just him. He's the voice of Sauron, I'm fairly sure. Isn't oh, is he? He's Treebeard. He's Treebeard. He's definitely Treebeard. Treebeard? Treebeard. Treebeard. Very different character. <laughs> yeah. One of the hobbits, in fact. Um, uh, but yeah, um, no, that, um, that's fine. We've also written Grima Kills Saruman, which confuses me because Grima Kills Saruman in both. Oh, it's done in a different way. It doesn't matter. It's done in a different way, yeah. Grima gets but, more of a resolution in the film than he does in the books. Because he gets the... Because Theoden offers him redemption. Yeah, yeah. You don't... You, Which is quite a kingly thing, yeah. You are, you are not always as you are now. And then Saruman backhands him. And then Grima kills him. Whereas I don't exactly remember how it is in the Scouring, but he doesn't get offered redemption in the same way. 
Well, no, because the hobbits don't. They don't really know. Ah, does Merry maybe offer him something? Maybe. Like a, maybe not like redemption, but sort of like you don't have to do this kind of thing. Because uh, I sort of forget why Grima ends up stabbing Saruman in the books. Maybe it's similar, but it's better coming from Theoden because it's, gro- it's growth in Theoden from yeah. when Theoden was ready to kill Grima. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very true. Um, and then I guess we've saved. Unless you want to make a point about Anduril, I don't Not know. Really, we, we, spoke about, we spoke a lot about Anduril. I think we did. Yeah. Last episode, so in the final one, <laughs> which is a rare thing, almost on par with the Witch King. This is such or, a or weird one to have written. It's down. so weird. Aragorn um, and the Troll. Why? Why? Just why? Well, it's you. Know, you know the background to this, don't you? Well, it was Aragorn fighting Sauron. Yes. I would have. I would have preferred that. I don't know. But so, so I was I was doing some reading around this. There's a really weird scene right at the start of the Battle of the Black Gate, where the gates open and like Aragorn's staring into the eye, and then Gandalf does like a Jedi mind trick with his hand, and then Aragorn says for Frodo, and they do the charge. In the original cut, Sauron appears, as you know. And Aragorn is like overcome by the appearance of Sauron. So the Gandalf hand wavy thing is to like pull aside Sauron's glamour so that Aragorn can see him for how he is. But because they take mm. the Sauron's appearance away, you're just left with this weird thing where it looks like Gandalf mind tricks Aragorn into charging. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that, that that sounds disastrous. It's, I guess it's, it's a sort of nod at the Sauron the Deceiver thing, but it's really mm. mi- it's really minor, but it it's just really weird. I don't know. And I just I just don't know if you really like. I get that they want to build tension, right? With this heroic charge, but then it's like, oh fuck, you know that they may have bitten off a bit more than they can chew. Yeah. Why have it be, you know, Aragorn fighting a troll and then Legolas somehow not getting stabbed, even though he's completely going against the. <laughs> the, the wake he's just like heaving against the lines to try and get through what and then what? again like 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 we talked about last time when he fails to hit the berserker like it takes him ages to knock an arrow and shoot a gigantic troll <laughs> like come on man yeah. well, I, I think that scene is so much better if it's just floods and floods and floods of orcs it's it's the sort of it doesn't matter how many you kill so the scene isn't yeah the scene isn't Aragorn being crushed beneath the troll's foot. It's just Aragorn looks exhausted. He can barely lift Andoril. He's still cutting orcs down. And then he like stands up and looks and sees that there's, they're just still coming. There's no dent in their numbers. Exactly. And it's that's just, when the despair hits. It's, it's just an ever-decreasing sort of circle around... Around Aragorn, yeah. Around Aragorn. You can I, see, I think Siege of the Black Gate, there's multiple little focal points, right? If I remember right. I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, Aragorn beheading the mouth of Sauron is also weird. Oh, yeah, that does happen, doesn't it? It's, it's one of those things which is like, yeah, it's probably fine because the mouth of Sauron is like a bad dude. But also, isn't he sort of protected by the laws of parlay or something like that? Yeah. I mean, probably not, because he's a bad dude, but sort of feels like a not very kingly thing to do to literally kill the messenger. 
Yeah, and I mean, he doesn't he doesn't really deliver any kind of message other than we, to be like, we have this mithril shirt. Yeah, but he also he doesn't sort of say, you know, surrender and we'll give you this, etc. Yeah, yeah, he, he's just baiting them. Aragorn delivers his excellent Irish lines. You notice? Have you ever noticed that? When when Viggo Mortensen is doing his "Let the Lord of the Black Land come forth," yeah, his accent just <laughs> the Lord switches. Lord of the Black Land come forth. <laughs> just switches right, to like hardcore <laughs> <from>? Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> like Josh does. Like, what the fuck is that? About? <laughs> All right. That, that's when that Sarah is like, "Oh shit, it's the Irish." Oh no! <laughs> oh no! I could take uh, weird yeah, so, pseudo Danish Aragorn, but not Irish yeah. Aragorn. Not Irish, he's, he's, he's probably had a few Guinnesses. Um, but yeah, in the books, he, he divides them between the, the two slag hills, right? So that he's, uh, he's yeah. sort of got time to actually mount some sort of strategy. And then, of course, you know, all, all sort of shit happens. The eagles show up, because of course they do. Always there, just as, a, as the story's ending. We were here too! Like, it takes a really long time to fly from our eeries, guys. <laughs> Chill. We're really tired. <laughs> And then, yeah, you know. So I think what we've learned from this exercise is the the books are fantastic. All the volumes of The Lord of the Rings are fantastic. Yes. And the films are fantastic, even though they made changes. I think that's A lot of those changes were good. I think that's the absolute takeaway. Yes, the books are unimpeachable. The films are different, but in their own way, also unimpeachable. And the fact that they're different only means that you get to experience two slightly different things. And that can only be for the good. Exactly. And I think a lot of the big changes that we made were quite thematically coherent and consistent, right? Yeah. To, to just make it look better on a screen. And, yeah. I, and I really rate the the hard work of all the writers yes. to achieve that. I, I, um, I completely agree. So, so much so that I'm willing to maybe forgive the troll. I'm, I'm not sure I can forgive the Witch King versus Gandalf. I can, I can forgive the troll because... It it it's a very easy, like, concentrated threat. The Witch King I struggle with, yeah. but I, I knew it wasn't good because they didn't put it in a theatrical version. That's true, exactly. So <laughs> it's actually our fault for watching the extended editions. That's very true. So yeah, and I guess Peter Fran and, and Philippa, if you're listening, you did yes, all right. If if you need our validation please know that you have yeah, it exactly and for any future projects uh we will happily look over it for you we're available to consult at very yeah. reasonable rates just speak to billy boyd and Dominic one hand they can reach us exactly they, they know where to find us <laughs> and so i think with that only a little bit over our supposed runtime of 50 minutes and i never knew that we agreed to that um, i said 50 minutes to up to 65 minutes all right, well, we're clocking in at 70-ish. But anyway, <laughs> if you're still with us, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Expertise is Overrated. No doubt we've said some things that were either objectively wrong or downright offensive. As ever, feel free to let us know, rate the podcast, and leave us a comment, or drop us an email at expertiseisoverrated at gmail.com. <clears throat> Billy and Dominic. Tweet us at <laughs> Zero Expertise. Check out our website, expertiseisoverrated.podbean.com, or come join us on our Discord server. If you're lucky, 
we might just argue with you in one of our upcoming episodes. And if you're really lucky, we might call you an idiot. Come back next time for some more absolute nonsense. <laughs>